Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. I am back with Paul Beck here at OSU Animal Science Department, and we wanted to address a little bit more on this small-scale finishing beef topic. It's very popular in the last couple years. It's always been popular, right, Paul? It's always nice to have a home-raised beef, but I think consumers are really interested in that now. And so, Paul, thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me again. Paul's been with us here at OSU uh, for about three years. We want to talk forage finished versus grain finished, maybe how people can finish their animals in a, in several different ways. So, Paul, there's a large debate around grass or forage finished animals versus grain finished. So give us some pros and cons of these, both so, of these things. <clears throat> the pros on forage finish or grass finished beef is, you know, you're using pasture to finish that animal. It's everything we talked about last time about the complications of finishing an animal on high concentrate diets. You've got that along to go with that in forage finishing. You've got to know how to produce the pasture, keep the pasture quality of that 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 animal's consuming high enough so it's gaining weight um, and putting on fat. We have some producers in Oklahoma that are doing outstanding jobs of forage management, grazing management, and able to to finish animals that are fairly you know good high quality beef completely on pasture that it does take excellent management to to get that done on a rule of thumb we try to get uh, grain finished animals uh, we consider them finished at about half inch to six tenths of an inch of back fat there's a lot of research on forage finishing programs where you know they're getting those animals to about two tenths to four tenths of an inch of back fat and you know the research that has looked at that you know looks at different forage types um, and and gains on that forage and and usually those animals are they're they don't have as much back fat they don't have as much marbling it takes longer to get them there and their carcasses will be quite a bit smaller okay um and you know there are producers that uh, would probably disagree, but those are the really top flight producers that can manage the forage program for those animals uh, and have the right type of animals to forage finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our breeding programs are directed towards you know our commercial or conventional finishing product. So uh, you have to have a slightly different animal to get them what I would consider you know grass finished at, at that lower body weight. And so we're looking at lower gains, right? Like lower, you just said, less, lower gains. Yeah, lower gains. Okay. And there's a different eating experience. Yes. Tenderness is of, of a beef product is related to age of the animal along with the intramuscular fat or the marbling. Mm-hmm. In a lot of our forage-finished or grass-finished animals, they don't have the marbling, and it takes enough longer for them to get to a certain amount of, of fatness that they're older. So usually it's it's tougher than a conventional grain finished product and it will have a different, more intense beef flavor than, than conventionally finished beef. 
Okay. And most most beef you buy in the grocery store, if it's not labeled grass-fed, you're eating a conventional beef product for those people who may not exactly. know that. Yeah. Con- and conventional is grain-finished. Right. right. We'll just define that right out here. Um, yeah. Definitely different eating experience, different you know things that you'll see. So people who are forage finishing or grass-fed, doing grass-fed, how do they manage the wintertime? I mean, we don't have green growing grass, high quality grass in the wintertime. What are the, what are they going to do during that time? A lot of uh, those producers will use uh, small grain uh, okay. or, or cool season annuals. If you finish them right off from these small grains, they yeah. have a very intense flavor. There's like a lot of grassy or something grassy right? flavor. Okay. It, there's you know the fat it will be quite yellow. Uh, just because of the beta carotene in those lush growing grasses. Lots of those producers will also use alfalfa um, as a supplement to keep the cattle growing through through the winter as well or when they don't have as much forage available to uh, fatten them. There are some concentrate type feeds that are that that there are some allowed and it depends on if you're working under a label or if you're just kind of doing it on your own so is it a soy soybean hole pellet soybean holes are are considered a roughage okay and uh they can be fed at a certain amount and okay. still still considered uh grass finished or forage finished beef so it's not a, a it's it has some protein it has some energy it kind of helps you boost some of that energy but not not like corn or anything like that. So we wouldn't see that. So grain finishing, that's kind of, kind of self-explanatory. We've talked a little bit about that in the past episode, but give us a little summary on that, how, how that grain finished ration can be fed and how it's a little bit different. So feeding grain or, or concentrates because we feed a lot of byproduct feeds or soybean holes, corn gluten feeds, distillers grains, all those that are not truly, you know, the cereal grain, but those concentrate feeds are higher in energy. They're low in roughage, so we need to, to either feed a total mixed diet or have some roughage available to that animal because they're high in energy to keep those cattle from having digestive upsets or, or stomach acid form as causing acidosis in the rumen, getting them to go off feed. We, we need to deliver that uh, finishing ration uh, very consistently, um, the right amount, the right time, uh, and and you know for feeding groups of animals, making sure that all animals are getting access to that uh, feed equally. Um, there's a there's a lot of management and, and and husbandry that goes into either feed you know forage finishing or grain finishing, mm-hmm. um, but you know just the the management of, of providing those high concentrate high energy rations is is extremely important uh, in those systems. And you mentioned before in the past episode, consistency is key. So feeding twice a day at the same time. When I worked in a feed yard, we ran the feed trucks the same time every day. Every pen relatively got the same, same amount at the same, same time. The, yeah, it yes. was like, the, it's just like a kind of the, the machine going, you know, we've got to stay consistent because those animals are on such a high energy ration. And it's not, it's kind of unrealistic, right, Paul, for us to believe that produce, small-scale producers can mimic that feedlot ration, and you mentioned that before. So it's not going to be as high in energy, but we still need to be careful. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, locally available uh, resources, we're not going to have steam flake corn or high-moisture corn 
you know, there's going to be a the more more byproduct feeds, so the um, they're slightly lower in energy available, but but those are also safer feeds, and that's a good thing. So we have a little bit more leeway for for us that are not you know full time feedlot operators. Right, and so we can hand feed. We could feed in a self feeder, right? Yes. And that and that can be safe when forage is offered. Yeah. You did some research in Arkansas about, you know, detailing grain finishing on pasture and how that can be really valuable. So it's a little bit different. So tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's very interesting. My uh, real good friend that was also at University of Arkansas, he's a um, OSU alum, uh, graduate from Central High down in southwest Oklahoma. Okay. We both wound up in Arkansas and uh, he's a meat scientist. And his his dad was a uh, uh, area extension specialist oh, whenever great. he was growing up. So lots in common yes. with, with you. We got to talking about feeding high rates of supplement to cattle on uh, Bermuda grass pastures and trying to fatten them there. He he explained this uh, research novel research idea to his dad, and he goes, "Oh, so you're going to start fe- finishing these cattle like we did in the '50s." <laughs> This novel idea. <laughs> yeah, a novel idea. Yeah. So what we did was we, we took the steers from my research station and split them in half. Okay. We, we ran them all through a normal stalker uh, program, got them to about yearlings. Uh, we sent half of them to West Texas uh, to finish uh, on a standard commercial feedlot type environment. The other half, we uh, kept them on Bermuda grass. And, and this all started in in uh, April, okay. so we we're going into the warm part of the year, and we moved them up to one percent of body weight of a blend of uh, corn gluten feed and corn. Okay, those cattle that w- went to the feedlot, they were slaughtered after right at about 130 days on feed. They were 80 percent choice. They they performed about like we expected them to from past experience with those mm-hmm. cattle from that herd. The cattle that we finished on grass, we took a extra 45 days longer to feed them. Uh, we considered them finished at about a half inch of back fat. We shipped them to a you know, regular commercial uh, slaughter facility, and they were 20% choice, but the rest of them were, were high select. Okay. So it was a, a reasonable uh, beef product. They were 130 pounds lighter at, at slaughter. And, you know, still, because we were feeding them at the research station and, you know, not feeding them near as much, we felt like we, we were fairly economical at, mm-hmm. at that. The next year, we decided to do it again. Okay. And instead of stopping at 1% of body weight of the concentrate supplement, we went to 1.5% uh, through the last uh, 60 days of finishing. Okay. We got the steers to the, the same body weight, um, the same back fat thickness, and they were essentially equal in uh, marbling. They were 100% choice versus 93% choice on the second year. Okay. When we look at those diets, we are kind of estimating what, how much Bermuda grass those steers were eating. But, you know, that, that first year at, at 1% of body weight, it's about two-thirds grass and, and one-third grain in their okay. diet. The second year, it was about two-thirds grain and one-third 
grass in their diet. So, you know, we just increase the amount of grass and uh, we're able to get them finished, very similar to what we saw in the feedlot. There were some learning experiences to it. We were in a very hot, humid climate in southern Arkansas. And, you know, one of the things that everybody always knows, you feed cattle first thing in the morning. Right. So I was watching the the behaviors of those steers whenever we'd supplement. They'd, they'd leave the pasture. They'd come up to the feed bunk. They'd eat. And then they'd go lay down. Then they wouldn't get back up until the late evening. Okay. So And they weren't performing very good whenever we did that. Not grazing, right? Yeah. Not grazing like they should. Yeah. So we waited until they started going to the shade to bed down. Okay. When they did their morning grazing event. And when they were finished with that morning grazing event, then we fed the cattle. Okay. They'd leave the shade, come and eat their their, uh, supplement, and then go bed down for a while and get up and graze. So we okay. changed their we were changing their grazing behavior by feeding them early in the morning. Ooh. And uh, so we were able to get their performance up there much more like the, the cattle in the, the feed yard. In that environment, it's really important to have shade and, and good right. clean water and cool water and all that. But they they gained well and, and finished, you know, really nicely on that project. Okay. And you felt like it was a little bit I'm not going to necessarily say cheaper, but maybe a little bit more economical. Like as far as cost of cost of gain, maybe a little bit better um, than a conventionally grain fed animal we, we, in, a, in a feed yard. Yeah, we uh, because we were feeding them less. You know, the pasture costs are you know involved in and some of right. that. But we felt like our cost of gain was uh, slightly cheaper than the commercial feed yard. Well, you're not feeding harvested hays. I think we um, as producers we underestimate the cost of hay is it costs a lot to bale hay haul it to where it needs to go maybe let it sit for a while then we lose a little bit (laughs) so i think uh you know having the cattle do that that work um is is very valuable now I, i think it's so important to talk about this because i think a lot of producers really could utilize this kind of format in finishing some animals um like you said you increase to one and a half percent of body weight and you were just seven percent less on the amount of choice the choice animals yeah, yeah. that were at harvest um so uh, the marbling was fairly similar i mean <clears throat> would that be a statistical difference i no, don't think the, it was not a, it was not a statistical okay, difference not a statistical and we had some some really good high choice cattle so they would have been cab eligible okay when they peeled the hide off from those cattle my meat scientist friend, you know, looked mm-hmm. at him and he goes, you would not be able to tell them from cattle coming from a feed yard that are feeding a, a grain sorghum type ration. Mm-hmm. You know, just a, maybe a little yellow uh, in the in the fat, not, you know, but they they appeared, you know, as white as as most a lot of our grain fed animals would would look as well. OK, that's just very interesting. Um, very interesting. You know, the, well, some of the other advantages, if you're feeding animals and they only have you know a few hundred square feet of pen space you know they're creating a lot of manure right there in a concentrated area right you know if you've got a grass trap and they can wander around that you know at wherever they want you don't have the concentration of manure and urine and all that flies all of that yeah that's something to think about Okay. Well, that's very, very helpful, Paul. Anything else that you would want producers to know maybe about that sort of finishing? 
so you know just keep in mind there's there's a lot of different ways that we can go about finishing animals and uh, I think you know if if a, a consumer wants purely grass finished animals you know we can find a way to make that happen uh, if they want something that's not ever been in a confined feeding operation we can you know make that happen as well you know some of the things to think about if you're wanting to to go with this higher supplement rate finishing type of program is not have pastures that are so big that cattle coming from the very ends of them the pasture won't be able to make it in time to, to get to the right to the supplement so you'd have some cattle eating much more supplement than others just because they're uh, close to the to the feed bunk so you know the the feed delivery is still important um, those animal husbandry practices are still important mm-hmm. and yeah. So, um, yeah, your extension offices are very valuable resources. They can get us in contact with Paul, you know, um, or any area specialist where most of us are nutrition focused. And so we like to help producers do that. So we'll have a bunch of information in the show notes, um, Paul's fact sheet and, and research. But Paul, thanks so much for joining me for this series. And uh, I don't know if I could could have covered it as well. So well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Again, look at those show notes. If you have any questions, talk to your extension educator. If you need feed samples done or evaluate a concentrate ration, let us know. We can help you out um, with that. We will um, talk to you all next time. Have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.